Welcome to In Conversation, the podcast of Banyan Books and Sound. My name is Jacob Steele, events coordinator and podcast producer. And today we will depart from our usual interview format to share with you a event with Tara Brock, the renowned meditation teacher and author. And she will be speaking on her new book, Trusting the Gold, Uncovering Your Natural Goodness. She will also share with us some guided meditations. Hope you enjoy. Tara Brock has been practicing and teaching meditation since 1975, as well as leading workshops and meditation retreats at centers throughout North America and Europe. She has a PhD in clinical psychology and is the founder of the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, and is the author of such best-selling classics as Radical Acceptance, Radical Compassion, and True Refuge. She and Jack Kornfield lead the Awareness Training Institute, which offers online courses on mindfulness and compassion, as well as the Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program. Her new book, Trusting the Gold, Uncovering Your Natural Goodness, is a gem of a gift book featuring stories, teachings, prompts, and beautiful color illustrations by Vicki Alvarez. In Trusting the Gold, Dr. Brock offers insights and practices for bringing non-judgmental awareness, self-compassion, and connection into everyday life. It is an honor to have you with us today. Please join me in welcoming Tara Brock. Hmm. Wow, thank you. Thank you, Jacob, and welcome, friends. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're part of this. You know, um, I'm so happy to be doing an event with Banyan. It's probably my favorite bookstore in the world and one of my favorite cities in the world. So I um, just want to start with a bow to Banyan Books. 50 years, too. Wow. So we'll explore some themes from Trusting the Gold, which um, are kind of central in my heart. And I'll include some practices as we go. If you like journaling, you might journal a bit. And maybe as a way of, yeah, as a way of arriving together, take a moment to invite yourself into presence. It can really make a difference. If you like to close your eyes or let your gaze be downcast and take a few full breaths. And sense the possibility of scanning through your body and noticing whatever really wants to let go right now. Perhaps some tightness or tension you weren't even aware you were carrying. Just relaxing through the body, relax your heart. Just feel the aliveness that's here. Let your senses be awake, the sounds, sensations, this movement of the breath, this life breath. Thomas Merton, the mystic and theologian, 
writes that life is this simple. We're living in a world that's absolutely transparent and the divine is shining through it all the time. This is not just a nice story or fable, it is true. So you might just sense for a moment, what would your life be like if you were able to really pause many times through the day, through your life, and see that, that light, that sentience, that goodness shining through yourself, through this human body and heart and through others and all the animals and trees and plants, that same essence shining through us all. Just imagine what your life would be like. It's really the possibility of honoring. Namaste. You know, I bow to the sacred wherever we look. Yeah, so you might, if your eyes are closed, open them. Namaste, that word I see the sacred light within you, within me, within all beings. It's really the spirit of the book, Trusting the Gold. So I thought I'd start right there. And um, of course, I saw recently, not maybe a month ago, a cartoon that says, the light in me, this is namaste, the light in me acknowledges the shadows in you. (laughs) So this is gonna be part of what we explore, which is the challenges to seeing the gold. And I want to let you know that I hadn't intended to write another book. Radical Compassion actually just came out last year. But my team here had been collecting quotes and anecdotes and so on that people asked for that were popular. And we had had an idea of putting a collection together. And somehow that collection turned into not just a a book, but a book that was um, illustrated by Vicki Alvarez in a way that's just so beautiful that I like giving it away as much as I can. It really is a giveaway book, gift book. And the essence or the theme that was so compelling to me in this, in this book that came forward was really seeing the intrinsic value in ourselves and each other and all of life. And it's become increasingly uh, compelling because of how our society is unfolding. I mean, we all are witnessing the incredibly dangerous levels of mistrust and the violence that comes from it, certainly feeling it here in the United States quite strongly. I also wanted to say to you that the title of the book, Trusting the Gold, has actually become a kind of mantra for me. When I get, in some way, stuck or small-minded or feel cynical or grim, you know, I'll just mutter to myself, trust the gold, just trust the gold. And something in me gets more um, sincere. And then all of a sudden I'm really sensing, oh yeah, there is a a light and a open-heartedness behind all the clouds of this grimness. So I'm getting ahead of myself a little, but it's a powerful 
pathway to have that intention. And the organizing story of the book, the one that it's captured my attention all through the years. And if you've um, followed my podcast or whatever, um, it's a chance to reflect on it again right now because the image serves so well. And that's that story of this enormous clay Buddha statue in Thailand that, you know, just attracted people for hundreds of years, just became very popular, but was not very attractive. And then during a drought in the 1950s, a crack appeared and the monks shined flashlights into the crack and found that underneath what turned out to be just a covering was the largest solid gold statue in Southeast Asia. And what's interesting to me about this is the monks believe that this work of art had been covered over to get it through very difficult times, you know, armies and and destructiveness where it might have been either stolen or, or destroyed. And that that's in the same way that we cover over our innate purity. You know, we have our ego protective coverings to get through hard times. And the suffering that we experience, and this is really how the Buddha put it, is because we forget our true nature, the gold, the awareness, the love, and we get identified in a smaller place. We each day live in very limiting stories about who we are and what's possible and who other people are. In other words, we live in the coverings, the egoic coverings. There's nothing wrong with the ego. It's just that it does not express the depth and dimension of who we are but it can take over. So I love this story because it's a beautiful image of we have coverings, that's fine, but we really need to remember who we are, remember the gold. But here's the thing, suffering wouldn't be suffering. We wouldn't get stuck unless it was very strong conditioning to think something's wrong with us and that we're just a limited ego self really strong conditioning. And for years, that's been a main theme that I have explored. Radical acceptance came out of what I felt was the trance of unworthiness and how pervasive it is that so many of us through our day have an underlying sense that we're not enough, that we should be doing more, we should be different, we should be better. You know, so in contrast to the Golden Buddha story, we, we are actually much more impacted by the creation story of the West, you know, that we got kicked out of the garden because something was wrong, that we're inherently flawed versus intrinsic goodness. There's a, a story I've always loved of this new monk arrives at the monastery and um, he's assigned to help all the other monks in copying the old canons and laws by hand. But he notices that the monks are copying from copies and not from the original manuscript. So the new monk goes to the abbot to question that. And the abbot says, you're right. There could be an error that's continued through time. And he said, we've been doing this for centuries, but you're making a good point. I'll go down and check the original manuscript. 
So he goes into these vaults deep under the monastery to look in this locked vault that hasn't been opened for hundreds of years. And hours go by and nobody sees the abbot. So finally the young monk goes down into the vaults, into the deep, deep you know, cellar where the vault is and sees the old abbot banging his head against the wall and just crying uncontrollably. So he asks, asks him, Father, Father, what's wrong? In a choking voice, the abbot replies, the word is celebrate. <laughs> so we make some assumption that we're flawed and we are in the red and we have to make up for it rather than the deep knowing, the intuitive knowing of, of our goodness. And this is really very deep in many contemporary cultures. And it feeling like there's something wrong with us deprives us of intimacy with other people, with ourselves, of course. And I have, um, I've shared a lot personally about the harsh inner critic, you know, the sense, you know, just realizing this was in my maybe late teens, early 20s, how I hated my body and I judged myself for falling short in relationships and I was always striving to improve. And, you know, I remember when I wrote Radical Acceptance, I went uh, on a book tour not, not this lovely kind of virtual book tour where I'm actually staying in the same place. But I remember being in Boulder, Colorado, and they had a poster up on me talking about the book. And it had a big picture of me. And at the bottom, the caption read, something is wrong with me. <laughs> so, you know, I was really trying to get across how much we live with that. And to share with you, this is like about five decades ago that I first, you know, really saw the trance of unworthiness that to this day I see in myself and most others I meet that have been on the path a long time, and this is kind of the bad news side of it, is that tendency to in some way be at war with ourselves, judge ourselves, not feel enough, that tendency is really strong and still appears you know I can still catch thoughts and feelings of falling short not enough so there's this regular forgetting of the gold but here's the good news side of it which is there's not so much lag time that you know recognizing oh caught in that story and remembering a larger truth and trusting that truth so I think what um, this book, Trusting the Gold, really is communicating, it is really possible for you to shift from believing a limiting story about who you are to trusting that there's a purity and a goodness of heart and a luminosity of awareness that's your nature and that can be woken up. And it's really a shift to freedom, to real happiness. And even more, as we make that shift, we can help each other reduce the lag time, you know. Okay, uh, this is from the poet Tukaram. He says, 
I could not lie anymore. I started to call my dog God. First he looked confused. Then he started smiling. Then he even danced. I kept at it. Now he doesn't even bite. I'm wondering if this might work on people. (laughs) And the answer is it does. The more we see the goodness in each other, we kind of bring it out. So our key inquiry, one of our key inquiries here is what gets in the way? And the big thing that gets in the way is very much a part of our naturalness, which is our survival brain. You know, each of us emerges or incarnates, and there's an experience of separateness. There's a a fear and a vigilance. And this is for us and for, you know, a snail, and it's for a frog, and it's for a dog. You know, it's there is a perception of separation and a need to protect one's existence. You know, I think of the squirrel that we have, we have fox that go around our house a lot. And I see the squirrel, this vigilant little shaking creature that is, you know, is anticipating being attacked and knows how to race away. And, um, you know, it's not meditating on the gold, you know, it's, it's basically fixating its attentions on danger. And you might wonder, well, isn't that kind of mistrust necessary? And it is, you know, trusting the goal doesn't mean we look away from how, from danger, ways we harm ourselves, ways we harm others, It's not a Pollyanna thing. We still have to navigate a dangerous world. We can't trust. We can't trust our egos. We can't trust that we'll, you know, stick with our exercise plan or that we won't lose our temper or that others won't hurt us. You know, we can't trust that. So we're not trusting the coverings to be wise and loving. What we're trusting is the innate potential within ourselves and each other and all beings that is is rooted in goodness, the potential to keep growing in our awareness and our capacity for loving. We're trusting in that because that wakes it up. So I guess what I'm wanting to communicate is that trusting the gold means we still have to take care of ourselves and we have to have wise discrimination and boundaries and we can do that and still have an open heart that sees a deeper way the truth uh, that's the mature wise trust uh, Joan Halifax a, a Roshi Joan Halifax wonderful Buddhist teacher has a description of having a strong back and a soft front so your strong back is, is that, you know, clear-minded, lucid sense of where you need to draw boundaries and what is wise action. And the soft front is still having that open-hearted presence, the heart wisdom that can see goodness even through the coverings. Now, trusting the gold is increasingly challenging depending on how wounded we were in our relationships with our caretakers. Because the more wounding, 
the more the survival brain gets activated with mistrust, right? So to the degree we've had abuse or trauma, just a lot of harsh judgment, and in our society to the degree to which we have been subject to the abusiveness of the society will be much more activated in mistrust. And you can see that the most toxic fuel for distrust is a society like most of ours that is hierarchical, has a dominance hierarchy. And by that, I mean like a real racial caste system, a class caste system, you know, systems that oppress indigenous people, black, those of color, other non-dominant that oppress other non-dominant populations, LGBTQ+, in these hierarchical societies, they just plant the seeds of mistrust every day. They They fuel them because it's not safe. So I'm giving a kind of a an overview of how the diseases of our society, which of course run through our caregivers, end up fostering mistrust. So there have to be practices that can help us heal and help us to remember and see the gold. And it's desperately needed in these times mistrust is so high, we're such a polarized world right now, that this really feels like our work. Uh, This capacity to be wise and discriminating and also be able to bow and say namaste and remember the goodness and bring that forward. I'm thinking that uh, some of you may be familiar with one of these most famous of Einstein's phrases, he says, I think the most important question facing humanity is, is the universe a friendly place? This is the first and most basic question all people must answer for themselves. So Einstein believed in a fundamental benevolence that there's in this universe, in this life, inside each of us, inside all sentient beings, there is some basic goodness. And you might sense for yourself that even with all the ignorance and cruelty in the world, do you feel that? And for many people, it doesn't feel that way. I I remember um, my mother who lived with us till the end of her life, the last six years, would come to my Wednesday class and I'd periodically give a talk that included this whole theme of basic goodness. And she was was a philosophy major at Barnard and she loved to take issue with me. And I remember one drive home when she said, well, what makes goodness more basic than badness or evil? And she said, you know, what about, is there any goodness in racism or capital punishment or humans destroying the earth? And so you might wonder the same. And we, we tussled a bit, but I agreed. There's no conceptual proof of something being more fundamental than something else. So all I could really say is in my inner experience, 
in my direct experience, when I get quiet, when the waves settle, there is a sense of awareness and love that feels like homecoming. It doesn't mean waves don't get stirred up, but it's like I can sense the ocean. I can sense that basic goodness. And I figure, and this is just how it works for me, that if it feels so intrinsic to me, I belong to this earth. I belong to this world. It's got to be intrinsic everywhere because I'm not different. You know, it's down deep, just like the sun's always shining, the clouds can cover it and there can be a really thick cloud bank. So there's very little remembering, but the sun's still shining. And what I realized for myself is even when I'm down on myself and disconnected from that loving awareness, it's kind of a choice or intention to live as if loving awareness is our deepest essence. And it brings out more love. So I'm kind of pragmatic about it. But either way, I think we all can sense that deepening our capacity to see goodness, to see the love and the light in each other, has to be healing. So I want to name the two pathways that help to cultivate it. And we'll do very brief practices you know, that, that can help us to get a taste of each. And the first pathway is the pathway of starting right where you are with the distrust, with the, with the clouds, with the conditioning, um, bringing mindfulness and compassion to that. And the second pathway is actually directly looking for the gold, looking to see the goodness in ourselves and each other. And often when I teach the first pathway, the pathway of presence and compassionate presence, I do it with the acronym RAIN, recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. And my last book on uh, radical compassion is a guidebook to RAIN. So if you want to go deeper into RAIN, that's the book. Those words, recognize and allow, that brings mindfulness to what's here. And investigate deepens the mindfulness. Nurture brings on compassion. And having the steps right there when you are caught in mistrust, when you're at war with yourself, when you're at war with others, taking those four steps of mindfulness and compassion can help to reveal the gold again. And just to give you an example from my own life, um, so I've had many struggles with, you know, physical pain and illness and so on. But at one period, it was particularly, I really spiraled down. And it wasn't just the chronic fatigue and the the pain and the loss of mobility, I mean, because there's all this going on. But I started getting really depressed and irritated and anxious. And so I decided to do rain with it. And I remember one particular time when I was, you know, feeling the sense of the future and how how limited it seemed. And so I brought R, recognize, okay, grim, down, you know, feeling the contraction of it. And then allow, just let it be there. You allow says instead of judging it or ignoring it, just allow it to be here. And then the I investigate, I ask myself, you know, what am I believing when I'm feeling this? 
And the belief was, there's something wrong with me for being a sick person. It's, it's my fault. I did something to bring it on. And even worse, I'm not handling it gracefully. I'm, I'm not being spiritual about it. So then I could feel the shame that there, there, I had been moving around with this undercurrent of not only feeling unwell, but shame about the way I was holding it. So that was investigated and I could feel the, the squeeze and the ache and the, the weight of that shame because when you investigate, it needs to be in the body. And that led to end nurture where I could feel a real sense of sorrow and sadness that I had once again gotten caught in that, that trance of unworthiness and could just offer a message, you know, it's okay, sweetheart, you know, trust your goodness. After those four steps of rain, there's what I call after the rain. And that's when we just notice the presence that's emerged by bringing mindfulness and compassion to what's here. And in that presence, we start sensing the gold again. And I'm going to walk you through it right now because I think that's the best way to do it. But I want to say that this is going to be brief. So... I invite you to revisit it if you want to explore this first pathway of trusting the gold. Um, but in these moments, you might, if you need to readjust how you're sitting, please do. Let your attention go inward. Again, take a nice full breath. Let the breath help to collect you. You might bring to mind something that triggers off self-judgment or doubt or fear. Might be a situation with another person or something to do with work. Maybe uh, an addictive pattern you have. So this is where a situation where you're not trusting yourself, you're kind of in your coverings, you know, and forgetting really the larger picture where you get where you turn on yourself. And the R of rain is to recognize the situation and, the, and the, just recognize what's going on. What's the feelings that are strongest? And you might mentally whisper them. Or you can even whisper them out loud. You know, anger, judgment, fear, shame. And with whatever you're noticing, sense the possibility of allowing, which is just for now giving it some space. Letting it be there, not trying to get rid of it. And bring your curiosity and your kindness to that. Okay, it's, it's like saying these are the waves of the moment and they belong, they're part of the ocean. 
you can't return to the ocean if you're fighting the waves. So just allowing those feelings. The I investigate, you might ask yourself, as I did, well, what are you really believing when you're feeling this? Are you believing you're failing, that you're unworthy, that you're not lovable, that you'll never succeed in ways that matter to you? that there's some basic flaw. Just just notice if there's that undercurrent of some core belief. But mostly sense how it feels in your body when you're believing that. When you're triggered, what's it like in your body? And it sometimes helps just to let your posture and your face and everything express what you're feeling. If you haven't done this before, it's quite powerful just to embody it. Maybe you're making fists or maybe your jaws clenched or your brow is wrinkled and you know maybe you're hunched over just let yourself embody it a little and feel right into where you feel most vulnerable most triggered maybe the throat the chest the belly and it can help to put your hand on your heart So it's like that part of you that's witnessing all this is keeping company, investigating and and paying attention and accompanying the feelings. You might even breathe into where you feel most agitation or fear or hurt. And just sense what that part of you needs right now. Does it need acceptance? Forgiveness, love, understanding. Sometimes if it's fear, you can say, thank you for trying to protect me, but I'm really okay. Or it could be as I did, just trust your goodness, trust the gold. Or maybe there's this compassion in you that's saying, I'm here, I'm not leaving. It's okay. So you can send yourself a message and let it be perhaps words, but also energy that's kind. So you're kind of bathing that vulnerable place with kindness. The poet Rumi says, don't turn away. Keep your gaze on the wounded place. That's where the light enters you. So there's in some way a nurturing, a holding of the wounded place. And and then just open the attention a little more and sense the presence that's emerged, what's shifted. Perhaps from that identification with a small, unworthy self to more of this space of kind presence. And you can sense that 
this space of compassion, of tenderness, of awareness is more the truth of who you are than any story. You can trust that. You can continue to practice, to stay quiet, to stay inward, or you can open your eyes. And if you'd like to journal, you might just ask yourself, who would I be if I trusted my basic goodness? What would my life be like? As you continue to reflect, I want to name the second of the pathways, which is intentionally looking towards the gold. Anthony DeMello says, it's a sobering thought that the finest act of love you can perform is not an act of service, but an act of seeing. When you serve people, you help, support, comfort, and alleviate pain. When you see them in their inner beauty and goodness, you transform and create. We're going to move into the second practice because learning to see the goodness, remembering the goodness directly, is transformational. And we have a a negativity bias where it's not our habit to look towards goodness. We tend to look towards what's wrong. So this undoes that bias. And we do it through the loving kindness practices. Some of you know of the metta practices and in gratitude practices. This helps to wake us up to the presence of the gold that we often miss. So still meditating, Just feel yourself right here with this breathing body. Again, let the attention be inward. You might bring a smile to the lips and let your eyes smile. And bring to mind someone you love. Ideally, it's a relationship that's not complicated. It could be a dog could be someone you don't know well, but that is deeply important to you or someone very close in. But whoever it is, bring them close into your awareness. So you're reflecting on the qualities you most appreciate. Perhaps it's the intelligence that looks through those eyes, their humor, kindness, vitality. Picture this being when they're feeling love for you. So be aware of their essence as as good and wakeful and caring. You're sensing the gold in them. And then just whisper their name and the words thank you. And then again. Thank you. And notice how your appreciation actually grows when you express it, when you honor them that way. Just feel your 
your good wishes for them. And next, bring your attention to your own being right now, to the care that's in your heart. And let that remind you of your own goodness, of the purity of heart, this caring for another, and other qualities that you do appreciate about yourself. You might sense your deep aspiration towards loving well, that you love love. Your aspiration towards truth, towards living fully, just the goodness of these heart's intention. And if it's difficult at all to connect with your own goodness, which often happens, you might bring someone to mind who you trust, loves you, could be the person you were, or the animal you were just thinking of, and look through their eyes, or through your future self's eyes, the, who you're evolving to be at your current self, and just see who's there under the covering, under the surface conditioning. And as you do, you might offer yourself just a, a tender gesture of care, such as, again, placing your hand lightly on your heart, And maybe some words of care, like be well, or namaste. And then let the feelings of the basic goodness that's here fill your body and your mind. Just give permission for that awareness and tenderness to fill you. And sense what's new about that or what feels meaningful right now. Just let the light and goodness really saturate you like water in a sponge, just tracking what's enjoyable. Life is this simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent and the divine is shining through it all the time. This is not just a nice story or fable. It is true. Let's take a moment to widen the field and let others spontaneously come to mind, others in your life. And just sense how sacredness, goodness shines through them.
So we close feeling the life within us. We close offering whatever blessing or wish or prayer to ourselves most resonates in this moment. We pause and imagine a world where we can recognize the light in each other. Namaste. We can recognize the sacredness. And we imagine and sense the possibility of that world and how it would give way to justice and peace and a loving that really lights up the universe. May all beings recognize the gold, the goodness, the awareness and love that's intrinsic. May we help to bring it out in all we meet. Thank you, friends, and a a deep namaste and wish for us all to be trusting the gold. Blessings. been listening to In Conversation, a podcast with Banyan Books and Sound.